0: Our first reading today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 1 through 5. This morning I will be reading from the Common English Bible. Listen for the word of the Lord. All of you who are thirsty, come to the water. Whoever has no money, come, buy food and eat. Without money, at no cost, buy wine and milk. Why spend money for what isn't food and your earnings for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Enjoy the richest of feasts. Listen and come to me. Listen and you will live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful loyalty to David. Look, I made him a witness to the peoples, a prince and commander of the peoples, Look, you will call a nation you don't know, a nation you don't know will run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, who has glorified you. Our second reading today is from the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verses 12 through 21. Um, This passage has some particularly lovely parts and some difficult parts, um, but I think it's important that we read and hear all of scripture, so we are listening to all of it today. Listen for God's word for us. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me to repay all people as their actions deserve. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Favored are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right of access to the tree of life and may enter by the city gates. Outside are the dogs, the drug users and spellcasters, those who commit sexual immorality, the murderers, the idolaters, and all who love and practice deception. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to bear witness to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who, re- who wishes receive life-giving water as a gift. Now I bear witness to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy contained in this scroll. If anyone adds to them, God will add to that person the plagues that are written in this scroll. If anyone takes away from the words of this scroll of prophecy god will take away that person's share in the tree of life and the holy city which are described in this scroll the one who bears witness to these things says yes i'm coming soon amen come lord jesus the grace of the lord jesus be with all this is the word of the lord thanks be to god and thus ends all of scripture these verses are the last verses of the last chapter of the last book of the bible as you may know the bible as we know it is comprised of 66 distinct books organized into the old testament and the new testament and these books were written and edited over hundreds of years by many different authors and they came to be ordered in the way that we read them over a couple hundred more years by god's people And if we believe that the Holy Spirit was active both in the writing of the words of Scripture and in bringing them together into the biblical canon that we know today, then we do well to consider these final words from Revelation as a closing. Last words in literature are powerful. We often judge a story on its ending. Was it satisfying? Did it wrap things up well? Did it seem realistic? Was the ending worthy of the story that was told? Many last lines live on in our collective imagination. We have Scarlett O'Hara blithely proclaiming, after all, tomorrow is another day at the end of Gone with the Wind, Um, or a Christmas carol's enduring benediction from Tiny Tim, God bless us, everyone. We remember these words. Famously, J.K. Rowling proclaimed for nearly a decade that the last word of the Harry Potter series would be scar, leaving fans to guess what the ending was going to be, Um, And then she changed her mind at the 11th hour, and instead the final book closed. The scar had not pained Harry for 19 years. All was well. Endings matter, and the ending of scripture is no different. Revelation is a fitting conclusion to God's word to us. For 65 books, or approximately 2,000 pages in my study Bible, God's revelation to us, God's word to us in scripture, recounts the ways that God works for redemption in history, in the events of the world, in the lives of real people, culminating with Christ's saving death and resurrection. Curse and blessing, sin and redemption, they're playing out on stages small and large in the lives of individuals like Abraham and Sarah, Ruth and Naomi, Mary Magdalene, Paul, and also in the lives of nations and empires. We have Egypt, Israel, Persia, Rome, and we know these places from our history books, but they are also the places that God has moved. Many of us are reading the Bible together this summer in 90 days, and just two weeks in, we are already seeing the grand story take shape. We learn in scripture that God works in history, in the world, with us, for blessing and redemption. And then we hit Revelation. That all sort of comes to a screeching halt. We step into this entirely different world. I would hazard a guess that most of us just avoid reading Revelation. On the surface, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. There's this um, really strange imagery. We have a dragon and beasts, um, a birthing woman, the horseman of the apocalypse, this really terrifying image of Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth that I find just quite scary. Um, There's violence and bloodshed. I was raised in the left-behind generation. And so my imagination for Revelation was really shaped by that book series, even though I never actually read them. Uh, My mom declared them too scary for me. But even so, the way I was taught to think about Revelation was shaped by those books, and maybe the same is true for many of you. In the left behind literary imagination, many of the events and images in the book of Revelation can be mapped onto world events today. And we need to be on guard for the rapture where the faithful are swept up to heaven and the unfaithful are, as the title says, left behind in a world full of terrible suffering. Nothing really quite puts the fear in you, like worrying you're not holy enough to make the cut of the rapture. But I'd like to suggest that Revelation is less a specific roadmap for the last days in which we can map historical events onto some sort of apocalyptic timeline and know when the world will end, It's more a behind-the-scenes peek at the rest of Scripture and at God's work in the world in general. And that is what makes it a fitting end to the Bible. While the previous 2,000 pages of the Bible have been telling us how God has been working in history among people and the subsequent 2,000 years of church history continue that story, Revelation just peels back the curtain on the spiritual realities that are at play reminding us that there is more going on than we can perceive with our eyes. It is a book of consolation and hope when the world feels turbulent and God's people are embattled, because it reminds us that God wrestles with evil and ultimately wins. And it's a book of warning when God's people become too comfortable and complacent in the world as it is and forget that we should be seeking the world as it will be the vision of the beautiful city that we see in Revelation 21 that the youth read for us a couple weeks ago on Youth Sunday. So all of that leads us here to the final verses of Revelation and of Scripture. We find what might seem at first like a little bit of a hodgepodge. We know Jesus is speaking. There may or may not be another speaker. Um, So we've got these descriptions of Jesus. There are people left out of the city gate. Warnings about adding or subtracting from the book. Um, There's just a lot going on that they're trying to fit in at the end here. But when we distill it down, here's what we really find at the end of Scripture. We find Jesus, and we find our response to Jesus in worship. At the end of Scripture, as the people of God, we are left with an invitation, a mission, and a hope. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes receive life-giving water as a gift. When faced with Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the descendant of kings and the bright morning star, this is the response with which we are presented. And we are included in that response. We are the church, the bride of Christ. And so we join with the Spirit and say, come. And we are the one who hears and so we say come and we are the one who is thirsty and so we come to receive the life-giving water as a gift but when we join this response what are we actually saying think of all the different contexts in which you might say to someone come perhaps you're throwing a party and you're really hoping that your neighbor shows up so you say the party's tomorrow night it's going to be a blast come Sometimes we utter it in frustration. We say, oh, come on with an eye roll when you're already late for work and then you find out the Buckman Bridge is closed. We use it to cheer people on. I remember watching the Boston Marathon a few years ago and my favorite runner, Meb, was winning the race, but someone was closing fast in the last couple of miles. And so I spent the last five minutes of the race jumping up and down in my living room yelling, come on, Meb, come on, Meb. And Meb did win, and I think it was because of my cheering that he did. It's an exhortation. Sometimes it's a word of comfort. Um, my little girl is at the stage where she's not as good at standing up or crawling as she thinks she is, but she also doesn't have any fear, and so she just falls over and hits her head a lot. Um, and so every time she hits her head, I gather her in my arms and I say, Come here, baby girl. It's a, it's a lovely all-purpose word, but what does come mean in this context? Who are the spirit and the bride and those who hear talking to? And what are they hoping they're going to do? The word uttered here is both a word to us and a word to Christ. First, it's an invitation to us, to those who love and know God and those who wish to love and know God more dearly. The Spirit and the Bride beckon us, come, draw near to Jesus, draw near to the one who endures, to the one who is still standing at the end of all things. Have you ever felt like you have come to the end of things or the end of yourself? When you lose your job, or when the doctor utters that dreaded C word, when your beloved dies, when you have been awake too many nights with dread and worry and don't think you can survive another day without sleep, when you have scoured every store for the right baby formula and you don't know if you have enough left to feed your baby at the end of the week, we have all stood at what feels like the end, and wondered how we were going to make it just one more day friends rest in this assurance when we are at the end jesus is still there and we are beckoned lovingly to come and draw near when my daughter emmy was about six weeks old she went through a period where she was a really difficult eater and the anxiety of not knowing if she was eating enough, coupled with not enough sleep and just that general kind of new parent, I don't know what the heck I'm doing feeling, it really started to consume me. I would cry in the middle of the night and then I would cry again when I woke up in the morning. And I remember one morning sitting by the river, literally crying to God saying, I I hope tears count this morning as prayers because that's all I have for you today. I was at the absolute end of myself. And what I found at the river... And in the middle of the night and through all those tears was that when I was at the end, Jesus was there, so very near. Jesus held my tears and reminded me that Isaiah describes God as a nursing mother, and so even this I could take to God with assurance that God knows. When we are at the end, Jesus is there. Come, draw near you who are thirsty, and drink from the life-giving water as a gift coupled with this beautiful invitation is a mission. The spirit and the bride beckon us, come and all who hear take up the refrain. We who have tasted the gift of life-giving water, turn and offer that water to others. Again, we must remember that this comes at the end of Scripture, so all of Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the histories, the prophets, the Gospels, the letters, and then here in Revelation, they have all in various ways shown us God's kingdom, God's vision for human flourishing. It's the vision we find summarized both in Isaiah and in Luke, to bring good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim release for the captives, liberation for prisoners, comfort for mourners, vindication from our God the year of the Lord's favor who y'all if we were not orderly Presbyterians somebody in here would be cheering by now because it is a good vision when we are invited in this is what we're invited into we don't call the gospel good news for nothing and what is good news worth if we are not sharing it with other people We share it by telling others about it. And we share it by rolling up our sleeves and going to work in the places that vision is being realized today. We don't build God's kingdom. That is God's work. But God is doing that work now. And we can join in right now or we can join in later. Why not be a part of it now? We have seen the vision. We have caught a glimpse of God's kingdom. We have been met by the crucified and resurrected Christ. The spirit is moving in us. And so we pass on the invitation that we have received. Come, come draw near to the life-giving water that is without price. Come live in the vision of justice and peace, of on earth as it is in heaven. Come, all of you. And we should not miss that this invitation is really directed at everyone. The very last words of Revelation proclaim the grace of Jesus Christ be with all. not all the people who come to church or all the people who say the right thing or do the right thing i can find a million ways to cut people out of god's grace or to draw some lines around who should be in and who should be out but the last line of revelation the last line of all of scripture throws that out the grace of our lord jesus is for all hallelujah And finally, this come, it isn't just a word to us or a word from us to others, but it is, perhaps most importantly, a cry to Jesus. It is our hope and our consolation. We know too well that the world is not as it ought to be. The world we live in now does not very much match that beautiful vision from Isaiah and Luke of the year of the Lord's favor. What have the last two and a half years been other than a colossal reminder that this is a world in need of redemption. Sin and strife have shown up in all of their nefarious forms, from pandemic to war, from famine to mass shootings, from racism to not enough food for babies. And we are in desperate need of a world made new. In Advent, the time of the church year where we wait in anticipation for Christ leading up to Christmas, we often utter the refrain, come Lord Jesus, That's not just a refrain for Advent. I find myself clinging to that cry whenever the hard things of the world seem like more than I can bear. The first time I truly understood the power of that cry, come Lord Jesus, was after the Newtown school shooting. I was working my first job after grad school and I had been riveted to the news that whole day. I didn't get any work done that day, watching reports scroll in. It was December, and I was living in Illinois. I lived about a mile from my office, so I had walked to work that day. And as I walked home on that cold, snowy afternoon, I was just so full of sorrow for a world in which small children are not safe at school. And the Advent refrain that we had been repeating in church in the lead up to Christmas sprang into mind, Come, Lord Jesus. I had nothing more appropriate to pray in the world in that moment. In this past week, as news poured in of yet another shooting at an elementary school in Texas, I once more clung to those words as I sat on the floor with my baby girl and she flipped through her Where's Baby's Belly Button book. I once more cried out, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Here in Revelation, we are reminded that is our best response. When things seem hopeless, this is our hope. Come, Lord Jesus. And it is not a vain hope, for Jesus responds, Yes, I am coming soon. Y'all, Jesus hears our cry, and Jesus answers, Yes. We do not cry out in vain or into a void. We cry out to the one who endures, the one who is standing at the end of all things, and the one who endures answers back. South African theologian Alan Busak Beautifully sums up the consolation that is found at the end of Revelation. Dr. Busak was a leading voice in the South African Reformed Church's anti apartheid work. And so he knows something about the church in strife and about meeting and clinging to hope in the face of evil. And he gives us this closing benediction from Revelation For the pain and the tears and the anguish must end. Come, Lord Jesus. For the comfort of this world is no comfort at all. Come, Lord Jesus. For there must be an end to the struggle when the unnecessary dying is over. Come, Lord Jesus. For the patterns of this world must change. Come, Lord Jesus. For hate must turn to love, and fear must turn to joy. Come, Lord Jesus. For war must cease and peace must reign. Come, Lord Jesus. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let them who hear say, come. And the one who bears witness to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.